This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It's Monday, June 8th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. So this week, we're going to roll out projected orders of finish per conference with 24-7 Sports National College Football writer Brandon Marcello, beginning with the ACC today. Brandon has Clemson, duh, facing North Carolina out of the Coastal Division, and we're going to talk about the ACC race and what the bottom looks like and who maybe in the top could fall or who maybe in the middle of the Atlantic could surge through. But before we get to that... In just a few minutes, we we do have some big news to run through from over the weekend. And as foretold last week, our nationwide conversation about racism has liberated some former college football players to speak up about experiences they had in college that were problematic. And these are experiences that up until this point, they didn't feel comfortable sharing. But college football programs are listening to them now. And the University of Iowa placed longtime strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle on administrative leave pending an independent review after several former Hawkeye football players spoke out about negative experiences that they and other black players had while at Iowa and under Doyle's supervision. In a video posted Saturday, Coach Kirk Ferentz called this a defining moment for the Iowa Hawkeye football program. Doyle, if you might remember, was a guest on this podcast a few months ago talking about the Hawkeyes' rich tradition of sending players to the NFL draft as success stories after maybe taking them in as three stars. And he's not only regarded as the best strength and conditioning coach in the business, he's paid like it too at $800,000 annually. And he's been Ference's right-hand man in Iowa City for the last 21 years. What next for Iowa? Ferentz says he's going to reach out to his former players individually to gather more information, and from there, they will be able to make a decision, a final decision, about Doyle's future with the program. Ferentz also announced that he's lifted Iowa's long-standing ban on social media so that players may participate in the broader national discussion of injustice, racism, and inequality. There's more. Over at Utah, defensive coordinator Morgan Scally was suspended Friday after a text message he sent in 2013 containing a racial slur surfaced. In a statement released by the school, Scally called it a horrible mistake and says he's heartbroken over the potential breach of trust with fellow coaches and with the young men in the program, both past and present. Unquote. Former Utah cornerback Ryan Lacey tweeted on Friday that he had been the target of a racial slur from Scally, saying, I too was called a racial slur, the N-word, by this man in 2008. I confronted him my senior year, 2013. Held on to it five years and got a half-ass apology, more on terms of an excuse. He is a great coach, but needs to be a better man. Truth hurts, 
God bless. Utah AD Mark Harlan said an outside law firm will conduct a review to seek further details and determine whether this was an isolated incident. This this 2013 text with Scally, or if there's a lot more to this story. Scally, like Doyle, is one of the best in his field. He was a finalist for the Broyles Award in 2019 after Utah ranked second nationally in total defense, and he because of that great 2019 season, received an extension and an undisclosed pay raise. We are going to keep an eye on both of those storylines this week, as well as whatever else comes out. So now, without further ado, on to the ACC projected order of finish with Brandon Marcello. All right, bringing in Brandon Marcello. Brandon, we're going to start your week of projecting the order of finish for every power five conference with the ACC. And I'm just going to let you run through it. Um, and, and I'm going to guess you, you probably have Clemson winning this thing, but I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, I've got Clemson winning it, you know, but I, I tell you this, if Clemson was in any of the other power five conferences and with this news of Justin Ross being out, I might have a more difficult time picking them number one in that conference, though I think they would probably still win every conference other than maybe the SEC this upcoming season. But anyway, I mean, it's obvious. Clemson's number one with Trevor Lawrence and co. I mean, what can you say? I mean, they're just deep as heck. This might actually be the most talented team that Dabo Sweeney's had um, with or without Justin Ross. It's just those receivers are going to be so young now and your leading receiver for the Tigers is the running back. So that's something that they're going to have to figure out, but I'm sure they will with all the talent they have. Uh, number two, I have Louisville. I, I, I mean, listen, Scott Satterfield's just doing an amazing job. They found their quarterback. They played very well last season, overcame a lot of obstacles, but also uh, overshot expectations. This year, I think it's going to be more difficult to get to that point of finishing second in the Atlantic um, once again and being in that spot. But I think it's still very, very doable, and I see them doing it because I don't see the teams below them really being able to maybe get over the hump this year. And those two teams that I've got right beneath them are Florida State and Wake Forest. I know some folks, I believe – um, I haven't looked at preseason projections a lot, but, I've, but I believe a lot of people have Wake Forest maybe a little bit lower, but I think they're going to be just fine without Jamie Newman at quarterback. I like what they're doing there. Florida State, I think, is going to be a little bit better this year. I mean, how could they be much worse? Um, but Mike Norvell is going to get things turned around there. Obviously, this is not the year where they're probably going to win, you know, eight games, but they'll probably win seven. That'll be good enough for third in the Atlantic, in my opinion. But I think what you're going to see – behind Florida State at the third spot in the Atlantic is just kind of a mishmash of teams just beating up on each other, and there's going to be some losing records in there, obviously, but there's no one really going to be impressive. I got Wake Forest at four, Boston College at five, Syracuse, which I expect to take a drop this year at six, and North Carolina State uh, at seven. That's a place to really keep an eye on as far as potential changes but I, I just don't see Syracuse making a jump I don't see Boston College making a jump this year with the new coach either yeah I was gonna say North Carolina State at seven is a possible spot where Dave Doran maybe he is on the hot seat and maybe on the way out so that's how you have the Atlantic 
Let's take a look at the coastal. Uh, North Carolina at one is really intriguing to me, Brandon. Yeah, I, I see them as the number one challenger, obviously, to Clemson for potentially winning in the ACC championship game. But I, I, I just don't see that happening. I mean, what North Carolina did last year under Mac Brown, I thought was pretty remarkable. And I mean, listen, Sam Howell, we all know he's been phenomenal. I, I want to see him like take that next step to like where we're going. Wow, it's Trevor Lawrence and Sam Howell in the ACC and nobody else. And they're potentially the best two quarterbacks in the region. And when I say region, I'm including the SEC. Um, and quarterbacks, obviously, especially in this day and age, could take you very far. And I think North Carolina, because of Hal and, and them having the most talented quarterback in the Coastal Division, I think they're going to win that division, and I think they're going to go to the ACC championship game this season. Uh, beyond them, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be quite honest with you. You could pick any of these teams to be number two, except for maybe one or two of them. I'm not sold on Virginia with everything they lost, but I got Virginia Tech at two. I still had a difficult time trying to decide between them, Miami, and Georgia Tech for the two spot. I think Georgia Tech's going to improve this season. They've got their quarterback, but I just don't know. Obviously, they got all the pieces together. I still think they're about two, three years away before they're contending in the top half of the Coastal on a consistent basis. But I'm going with Virginia Tech because of what they did near the end of last season, plus just the multitude of starters returning. Um, and that's gonna that's really going to prove big as far as maybe not being a championship caliber team or contending to be in a championship game, but being able to win the close games uh, down the stretch. So I got Virginia Tech two, Miami three. I think they're going to be a little bit better than last season. I'm still not completely sold on them. They have got to continue to burn things up on the recruiting trail. Otherwise, Manny Diaz might be on the hot seat in a year or two. And, and I, I don't want to see that because I think Manny Diaz is a fantastic coach. It's just that the talent quite isn't quite all there in, in the big spots yet. Georgia Tech, as I mentioned, I've got it four with Jeff Collins, head coach. You know, they've they've done a pretty good job there. It's hard to recruit to Tech, even though it's Atlanta, which you would think, hey, that'd be like a hot spot to bring kids in, especially with all the talent there. But listen, getting in the top 20, top 25 recruiting classes under Jeff Collins, that's pretty remarkable considering the history of Georgia Tech here the last 10 years or so. So I think they're going to be able to be in the top half of the Coastal at some point. But I, I do think that they're going to be right there on the edge this season at four. Duke, I've got at five, struggling with them and trying to figure out where they're going to be. And then really, like I said, this is just a mishmash of teams. I just don't know. Duke, Pitt, and then Virginia. Virginia obviously having that fantastic season last year, losing their quarterback losing a lot of pieces. I, I think they're going to – I think out of all the Power 5 teams, they're going to probably have the biggest drop-off of any of them in the Power 5 this season. Wow, the entire Power 5. Now, that's the, – the Coastal is interesting because quarterback could really swing so many of these teams, and you've got a lot of quarterback transfers, right? Virginia, yeah. they might they might try out Keaton Thompson from Mississippi State, Duke, Chase Bryce from Clemson, Miami, De'Eric King. When De'Eric King landed at Miami, that move was really hailed as, hey, yeah, this could be the move that gets them to the top of the coastal. And like yeah, you said, I, like you said, like you 
they could be one. It's, it's not a big difference between one and three, but you would hope right. after, I believe, a seven and six season, I was in on Miami last year, proven wrong. I'm kind of talking myself into them again, but (laughs) right. Like there's so much talent on the defensive line. You've got Derek King, but I don't know. I, but these, these quarterback transfers could really swing the coastal. Yeah, certainly. And you mentioned Miami and Duke uh, specifically. I've got better hosts for them than Virginia. And just because of what I've seen from some of these guys, a quarterback, but Miami, that's why I've got them at three. I think they could challenge for, Maybe the one spot, but I just I'm just not sold on them getting everything together all across uh, the team. And also, just I don't know I don't know what it was last year watching them. I don't know if it was game management or just not being able to come through in the big moments for whatever reason, whether it was execution, coaching. That just something something seems off with Miami, and not just that they're losing. And oh boy man, that bowl game and all that, but something seems off there. And maybe it was just because they were adjusting to a new way of doing things, but we'll see. I mean, um, there could be a big improvement there, but I just, even with King, I just, I don't think they're going to make a huge jump where they're like a nine, nine win team this year. I think they're going to be like seven or eight wins this year. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One more Coastal question, and then we're going to loop back to who we think the Coastal is going to play in the, in the title game. That would be Clemson. But for North Carolina, I believe it's something like nine starters back on offense. It's kind of hard yeah. about Phil Steele to, to cite all this stuff off. The schedule is a little bit trickier. What, what sort of progress, Brandon, as we look? Because for Mac Brown, this is great. Yeah, relevant in the Coastal, relevant yeah. in the ACC. But the way they're recruiting – the, the things we've seen Mac Brown do in his past, the quarterback he's got, you would assume eventually North Carolina is itching to break through on a national level, on a top 25, on a, hey, could they eventually be a playoff team? So what sort of progress do you think we need to see from North Carolina this season to correctly march in that direction? Well, they need to be able to um, shut down opponents and close them out uh, in the second half. You know, everybody always wants to talk about that Clemson game last year and what, what could have been. But, you know, look at the Virginia game last year, losing by seven, you know, losing in overtime to Pitt. You know, it's things like that that kind of stick out to me. And if they could come o- overcome that, and also the Virginia Tech loss in overtime last year, if they can overcome that stuff, you're talking about a team that is a legitimate maybe top 10 team. Um if they were to do that this season, if they were to not have those close type of losses, because you look at the schedule, I mean, week one, they've got a chance to really put their name on the map against UCF, a team that is always hoping to be in the top 10, top 15 and be that number one group of five school. They have to go to UCF. If they beat UCF at UCF and then the next week they have to play Auburn, 
at a neutral site as of right now, it's a neutral site. We'll see what happens with the COVID situation. Those first two weeks, UNC could really be like the story of the early season if they start 2-0. and You're going to suddenly look at them, and people are going to go, oh, UNC's a team that could challenge Clemson. And here's the other thing. UNC doesn't play Clemson this year until potentially the ACC championship game. I like the, I like the road they've got. They host Virginia Tech this year. They have to go to Miami. That might be their toughest game after those first two weeks, to be quite honest, is going to Miami in late October. Talk about Clemson, and every year we sort of we try to pick out the game that's going to give them the most trouble. And it's impossible to figure it out because that's yeah. it's not what it's about. And sometimes we say, hey, week three, Syracuse, that's the game. And you overlook the, the little trip to Chapel Hill, and so that it ends up being the one that almost gets them. When I'm looking at Clemson's schedule, and we'll wrap this up, trying to find a game that could trip them up. And I'm pulling it up right now. Everyone's going to circle week two against Louisville on the calendar at at Clemson, but that's too obvious at this point because you're circling it, right? So you wonder, is Georgia Tech on a Thursday? Is that going to be sleepy? It's in Atlanta. It's it's open the season. You don't, you know, Clemson didn't come out well last year. Uh, too hot, uh, at least Trevor Lawrence. But there's just not much here, Brandon, that, that, that's scary. If you like Wake Forest a lot, then maybe a late November clash in Winston-Salem scares you. But it looks like a slam dunk for Clemson to mow through the Atlantic. And the only, the only question is, like, which, which, which very average team will give them a scare? Because you assume it will happen. How about this? How about this for the scare? Now, I, I'm with you with Louisville. Um, so I, we'll just skip that. How about this first gear? How about South Carolina at the end of the year? If, if we get to that point, what if it's South Carolina? You know, they've lost six straight to Clemson, but Will Muschamp always has some weird card up his sleeve for some game in, during the year. I saw it last year against Georgia. What if it's South Carolina this year? And then all of a sudden you got maybe a one loss Clemson team or maybe a two loss Clemson team, depending on what happens to Notre Dame. Cause I, re- I wrote in my piece about some bold predictions. I-, I think Notre Dame's got a shot at knocking off Clemson this year on November 7th. But what if South Carolina knocks off Clemson um, in the non-conference in the season, that rivalry? Ooh. I think it's possible. Will Muschamp's done crazier things. We've seen it. He did on the road last year at Georgia. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Probably not. But outside of Louisville, I'd think that they could potentially trip up at the very end of the year against Carolina. Well, it's going to be interesting. You talk about the rivalry games and, hey, if there's only 50% capacity, you could certainly see that sort right. of you know, weird Twilight Zone vibe the day after Thanksgiving or two days after Thanksgiving and you're playing your arch nemesis and no one's in the stands. And, yeah, crazier things have happened, but maybe because both ways, maybe – Clemson goes up to Notre Dame and no one's there for that one either. And that's just a little bit of an easier place to play. All right. Well, the ACC standings projected order of finish, write it in ink. Brandon Marcello's got them in. All right. That was good stuff. You can look forward to Tuesday. We will have the big 12 projected order of finish with Brandon Marcello, as, as well as any other news that pops up across the college football landscape. That is going to do it though, for today's episode of the college football daily. I would love for everyone to go leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For Brandon Marcello, for our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott, and we will talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.
CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.